But what I've come to find out many years later is that it can not only take you around the world, but it can take you to a lot of other places, both both with your inner journey and also in your career and other things that I could never have foreseen. Hey, hey, what's up, you guys, and welcome to episode number two of That Remote Show, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. I'm your host, Mika Kraszowski, and I'm so excited uh, for this first episode. I know this is episode number two, but really this is the first episode of the show. Uh, it's the first interview that we're doing, and I'm super stoked for this episode because it's with a friend of mine and uh, a mentor and the host of the Zero to Travel podcast, Jason Moore. Uh, if you guys don't know, uh, about the Zero to Travel podcast, or you've never heard of Jason before. Essentially, it's one of the most popular uh, travel podcasts out there. Uh, Jason's been doing this for five years now, and he's been able to really take uh, this podcast and this brand and, and, and build it into a very successful business. Um, along with that, he's had some spinoff brands that have happened with that, like uh, Location Indie, which we'll talk about uh, in the interview. Um, but yeah, I'm super excited for you guys to listen in on this episode. But before we jump into the episode, uh, into the interview, I should say, uh, I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. I know that we're just getting started here with this uh, podcast. So the fact that you guys are listening uh, this early on means the world to me. And I want to just ask if uh, once you guys are done listening to the episode, if you want to jump in and leave an honest review you know, about what you thought about this podcast. Uh, reviews are what make uh, podcasts like this one find more listeners. So it would mean the world to me if you guys could go and leave an honest review and tell me what you thought about it. Uh, it would really help me a lot. So without further ado, uh, let's jump in this with this uh, interview with Jason Moore from Zero to Travel. All right. Well, uh, Jason, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, you're the uh, first guest, so uh, yes. you, know, uh, you let me experiment on you, so thank you for that. <laughs> I'm honored, man, and uh, I don't know, experiment on me. Yeah, this is. I'll take this kind of experiment on me. I don't know if, um, if I get abducted by the aliens. You've heard some crazy stories. Who knows what kind of experimentation is going on in that scenario. But this scenario, I'll take it, man. Congrats on the podcast. That's yeah, super thank exciting. You, thank you. Yeah, well, if you do get abducted by aliens, you know that would make for an awesome Oh yeah, episode, so. <laughs> I'll try to get some audio on the way. Maybe you can, yeah, share it with the with the show. There you go. Well, before <laughs> we get rolling, I really want to congratulate you first because you had a couple of big things happen in your life here recently. You just had your second kid born, right? So that's pretty yeah. big, right? That's huge. Yeah, that's that about as big as huge. it gets. I guess. Right. Well, he's small, but that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, he's uh, almost five months old now. Oh, congratulations! And then also, Thanks. you recently celebrated five years of zero to travel, right? Yes. Uh, that was insane to me because I looked back into the feed. I don't know why I was like, I was, I actually it was because I was like, I think I've been doing this podcast for five years and I just went and checked into the feed and kind of was blown away that it was five years last month at the time of this recording. So I don't, remember doing anything else for five years this consistently <laughs> so I feel that. it's it's pretty insane but it's uh, uh it's such a 
it's been such a life changing thing and such a great thing for me personally. And also, you know, from the feedback I've gotten, it, it certainly sounds like it's been helpful for some people as well. So it's awesome. And, um, that's why I'm so excited for you. This first episode, just getting it going and who knows where it'll go. It's an exciting journey. Yeah. So, uh, from five years to year one here, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens, but year yeah, one, it's definitely- day one, year Minute one, one day hour one. one. That's right. I mean, you're definitely right. You're just all the ones are, uh, in your favor here, <laughs> but yeah, you know, so you, your podcast has definitely helped a lot of people, myself included. Um, but when I was, sort of like doing research and trying to like prepare for this episode because you know it is my first podcast um and when i thought about you one word kept coming up and that word more than anyone Uh else i feel (laughs) i feel like the one word that you know connects with you the most is adventure more than anybody that i know so when in your life do you feel like was your first adventure you know like looking back yeah it's a really good question and Thanks. Yeah, I don't know. I don't feel as adventurous lately, just pushing the double stroller around Oslo here where I live. But uh, no, that's an adventure in and of itself. That's right. Different experiences. Well, it is. Yeah. I mean, I think that is my philosophy around adventure is that anything can be an adventure and it's really the mindset you bring to it. Right. So and, and anybody will know that there's been times where you know, you might have a, a regular night out in your hometown or whatever, and it's just what you would maybe call a regular night, not very memorable. Then there might be one night in the same place where some crazy adventure happens and you end up at some stranger's house. Like, who knows what happens? And it it, it feels like an adventure, even though it's taking place in the same exact physical location that you've been before. So what's changed about that? Nothing except, you know, the mindset and the experiences that you had um, that go with it. So, uh, for me, Hmm. I mean, certainly I can think about being young as a kid and going camping with my dad and being in a tent and feeling like, okay, we're on this adventure. We're in the woods. We're, and even though we were car camping and there were other people around, but you know, we had a fire. There was, it was just, we were out in nature. We were sleeping outside and you could even go, into sleeping in the backyard in a tent, for example. Anything that was sleeping outdoors, tent camping related, I think was my first feeling of adventure, I guess. And then road trips in college, th- things that, co- any, anything that involved really going away, I, I, I might have, like now that you bring this up, I might have just subconsciously or maybe consciously just tied that feeling that good feeling of adventure in the open road with travel. And that is what it is to me. So, you know, getting out and getting away and breaking the routines, um, certainly I think gives us opportunities to have more adventures. Now, whether, whether we do or not, I mean, again, that comes, becomes a mindset thing, right? Like we could have that same mindset when we're at home, but there's something about the open road, right? That kind of opens you up for adventure. So, yeah, I think I I just tied it with travel and being other places at a young age. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think it was uh, the founder of Patagonia. I could be totally butchering this, but I, I think it was him that said, you know, uh, adventure is when everything goes wrong. You know, when like the, like like <laughs> right. you know when like you open yourself up to the opportunities of like having things go wrong. And I feel like camping because that's what it was for me too. Was like. Because you're removing the comforts of your home and sort of the day-to-day routines and you're going out and doing something new and and allowing for things that you're not prepared for 
to enter yeah. your life, which is, you know, I think definitely adventurous. You know, it doesn't have to be anything huge or crazy. Um, right. But yeah, you, so you mentioned the open road. And I know that you, you know, because we've known each other now for about a year, year and a half, something like that. Um, and I know that you've spent quite a bit of time on the open road um, with your first job, right? Am I right that that yeah. was your first job out of college? Yes. Okay. And what, and what did you do for that job? What was it? Okay. Well, all right. I'll explain that in a second. First, I just, I do want to finish on the, I want to close the adventure loop. I'm not, I'm not that oh, we're closing absolutely. it forever, but you said, uh, you said that things, uh, adventures like when you present or you put yourself in a situation where you're going to encounter things that you aren't prepared for. I think that's mm. so well said because that, that is what it is, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's this feeling of, oh, I don't know what's going to happen next, or this isn't something I was expecting uh, for better or worse. So I just, I really liked what you said there. So I just wanted to founder say, of uh, Patagonia, but if it's not him, I'll take the credit. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um, all right. So my first job out of school, out of college, I graduated in December in a, in the middle of the year. So I went an extra semester. I went to Penn state and a lot of my friends were either in school still cause they were younger or if they were in my, at my age, I guess, or whatever, my level, they, they had already moved on. So I had that extra semester. So it was a weird time. It was in the middle of winter. I got home and I just wanted to travel and I decided I was going to save up money and go backpacking in Europe. And that was the plan. And it was going to be a solo trip. Well, it was going to be a trip with a buddy, but he ended up getting a job. So then I was like, okay, this is looking like it's going to be a solo trip. And I was getting kind of depressed because I wasn't sure what exactly I was going to do. I had $20,000 in debt and was basically staying at my mom's and thinking about all these places I wanted to travel to. And I hadn't done that much traveling at that point, really. So I started looking for travel jobs, and this was in the late 90s, Midco. So um, I, I ended up finding something, and when they sent me the information on it, they actually faxed it to me. They faxed me a tour schedule. And I, I was like, I don't know what this is. It's a charity event for kids where kids were going to race modified lawn tractors around a Kmart parking lot in a race course that you would set up. So we would travel around the different cities, set up this racetrack, and run this race for kids. Now, they, they took the blades off the, the lawnmowers, thank goodness, because that could have <laughs> been a pretty bloody tour, <laughs> if, if not, considering how a lot of those kids drive because these kids were seven to 12 years old. And uh, anyway, it was a charity race. They would race through this um, obstacle course and get uh, raise $5 for a local drug prevention charity for each kid that raced. So they sent me all this information and I was just like, I don't know what this is, but I get to go to a different city every week. I'm going to set up this event. This is going to be an adventure. I'm going to mm -hmm. just do this and see what happens. And it turns out after I got involved, it's this whole industry called experiential marketing or event marketing. And that there were all these brands doing these promotions all over the country and needing people to travel around and manage these events. So the quintessential example that most people from America know, if you've ever seen Oscar Mayer Wienermobile, it looks like a giant hot dog shaped car that was driving around the country. I don't classic know if it still America. is, but yeah, classic America. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I started getting gigs in the event marketing industry and basically traveling overseas in between. So I did end up doing a couple more gigs after that one. And then I had saved up money from being on tour. And then I took off and did my first solo backpacking trip 
through Europe. And then I was totally hooked on the overseas travel thing after that and solo travel in particular. So that kind of fueled the next decade plus of my life <laughs> because so you, when I, you did that well, for 10 years, the experiential yeah. events. Wow. Well, yeah, I, I was a touring professional for a little over 10 years because when I first went on tour, I thought it was a one-time adventure. I, I, I bought a map of the United States. I'm like, we're going to go to all these places. Was you know keeping journals and all these things. This was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And then after this, I would have to – I could travel for a little while and do the Europe trip. And then I would have to go get a regular job. Like that was just my mindset. It was limiting for some reason. I don't know why. It was just – that was just how I thought it was going to unfold because that's what you're supposed to do, Right. You're supposed to get out of college and then you're supposed to get some kind of regular job. So it ended up that once I found out this was a whole industry and I started networking and got a couple more contracts and then did this overseas trip, I was like, well, this is fun. Why would I do something else? I'm going to keep doing this. So I just kept doing it and then I kept doing it and doing it. And then it was just, I was just traveling and living nomadically for years um, even though I didn't know anybody else outside of other people that were touring who lived this way. And this was before there was digital nomads. And I mean, there were, they were, but there was no term for it probably, or remote warriors was not as big of a thing as it is now. So, um, it was an awesome way to start traveling because I was getting experience, but I was kind of still running my own business when you're running an event or you're running anything on tour. You're, it's like your own as a tour manager, you're just kind of in charge of everything. So you kind of get to run your own show, but you know, you also get a paycheck and I needed to pay some bills and you're also able to save a lot of money because you're not paying for a car. You're not paying for gas. You're not paying a mortgage. You're not paying for anything because the company is, you're just living on tour. So I ended up doing these experiential tours. I worked, uh, as an adventure travel guide one summer cause I wanted to try that out. And I also did some music touring where I was on tour with a, I was like a talent um, liaison for one tour. And then I started tour managing a band and did the whole tour bus, traveling around the tour bus, tour, like rock and roll tour thing. So crazy. See, this is why for <laughs> me, like the word adventure sticks with you so well is because I feel like we could do a whole podcast episode and every single one of those, because I know <laughs> I want to hear about the band managing because that sounds awesome. You know, like I just <laughs> went and saw Bohemian Rhapsody yesterday uh nice. so i'm on that rock and roll kind of like mood but right. yeah, that, that's nuts that you so you would basically do these like little gigs or not little gigs you know where you would work for a couple of months touring around the united states and then you would you know pack up and leave to go international travel so how how long would you go at a at a time for international traveling it it depended on how much time i would have in between contracts what time of year it was and that sort of thing so if it was around holiday time and I wanted to spend time with my family, I could go home for the holidays. And if I didn't have a contract till like whatever, February, maybe I would go for six weeks, maybe three weeks, maybe one time I went to South America for three and a half months. Uh, it really just depended on how it lined up with the work I was getting next. And sometimes I just like the Patagonia example. We're mentioning Patagonia again, Patagonia, the, the physical location, the place. Chile and yeah, Chilean and Argentinian Patagonia down there in South America. Uh, that was just uh, one of those, hey, let's just take time off and do this. And I'm not going to worry about what gig I'm going to get when I come back because we'll figure it out later. And yeah, so it was kind of a mix of those types of things. What was, do you remember the first place 
that you traveled internationally and when was it and what did it feel like the first time you went abroad? <laughs> I wouldn't count the all right, so there were a couple trips before I would really count my first solo backpacking trip to Europe because that was okay. a real travel experience. When we were eighteen in high school, we went to Cancun and that was cool because hey, it felt cool because we got to go to a bar and order a beer. Wow, right? Like we weren't experiencing the culture or anything. And then um, in college, we did a like a spring break thing to to one of the islands. But again, it was just college shenanigans stuff. It wasn't real what I would consider what I have come to love as, as these sort of authentic, more authentic travel experiences and independent travel and that sort of thing. So uh, I would say that the first adventure was the, the backpacking trip to Europe. And what, what countries did you do on that trip? Um, like Spain, France, Italy, uh, Denmark, because I met a girl in Prague, and that was another There's side adventure girl, right? thing. <laughs> London, England, um, yeah, Belgium, just was hopping around sort of all over the place for a couple months. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah we, it was my, great. My girlfriend and I did one of those like two years ago. And I mean just the, the freedom of like having all your stuff in your backpack and being able to like get going and know like, hey, for the next like month I'm here and I'm just hopping around. I have no other responsibilities other than to have the best time possible at these places. It's it's definitely an experience. Yeah. But it's so eye opening. I remember being you know that feeling when you just you feel high, just so high in life, you're buzzing practically for whatever reason. Whether it's a, uh, I mean, it could be anything. And for me, the the time in Europe, I felt like that almost the entire trip. I never felt down. I felt like I had found my true calling in some way, which was weird because where is just random, randomly traveling around going to take you in life? But what I've come to find out many years later is that it can not only take you around the world, but it can take you to a lot of other places, both both with your inner journey and also in your career and other things that I could never have foreseen. Mm. So why did you decide to start the podcast and when was that? It was in 2013 and I started, it was late 2013 that I published the first episode, but I had been talking about it with my mastermind group for who knows how long. I, honestly, I think the idea started I remember being in South America in 2006 I was just thinking about this on that trip and I remember I brought a little tape recorder one of those ones that a reporter would use with an actual tape and I was talking to people yeah old school I wish I could find those tapes they're in my garage I should figure if I can listen to them I remember I met a guy from Peru that was studying to be a pilot in Argentina and I just thought that was really interesting and I sat down and recorded our conversation and started interviewing him so I was doing this even though I didn't know I was doing it, but there were a couple things that I always loved. I loved getting to know people. Well, three things. I loved sh being able to share um, whatever I learned when it came to travel. If people were interested and they were asking for advice or they needed help or whatever because I had so many conversations with travelers all over the world and I was endlessly fascinated with all the different ways that people were figuring out how to live on the road, whether full-time or just traveling long-term, because when I first went out on the road, I didn't know that you could, that even traveling for a year or two years or five years was an option. And I'm meeting these people who are 
you know, working on farms and doing all this stuff. And it was just super eye opening. So, um, getting this inner passion for sharing this information, anytime would ask, anybody would ask and they were interested, I would just go off on them and I'd be really excited to share. And I just thought people, more people need to hear this. And I also love audio. I love the idea that my job involves this microphone here. And I just love sharing helpful stuff with people. So uh, it just was a natural fit. And when I started chatting with my mastermind group, my friend Emily was finally like, dude, stop talking about this podcast. You just have to do it. And so I just started interviewing people. And I, I will tell you a quick story because I messaged this this woman last year. I was on the rock and roll tour and I was in a bar in Brooklyn, New York, in the neighborhood where the band lived. And I was just, I don't know what they were doing, but I was, I just went off to have a beer by myself on like one night or whatever. And I sat at the bar and there was a woman there and she just finished writing a book. I think it's called Louder Than Hell. Her name's Catherine. And she, the book was all about like the hair metal scene. And she was, you know, I was doing a rock and roll type tour at the time. So we were talking about that stuff and I was asking her about the book and she was saying that she had interviewed all these, you know, heavy metal band guys and gals and for the book. And I just remember it hit me for the first time that I was like, wow, I would really like to interview people. That sounds like a really cool thing to do. It sounds super fun and I'm sure I would learn a lot, but how would I interview people. I don't know, but that really stuck with me. And I actually wrote her a note a few months ago and said, uh, Hey, I don't know if you remember me, but this made a big impact on my life. Cause I kind of decided then and there that I was going to interview people. Um, so I ended up interviewing the sound guy for our tour and learning about his life. And that was kind of my first interview. I haven't published that, but, um, and then, so the podcast was sort of a natural extension of all of these things that I was interested in. So you had no idea when you started the podcast or did you like dream when you started the podcast of what it would become today? No. <laughs> no, you no. had no idea. You didn't even no. think about one day I'm going to be a famous podcaster with millions well, of no, downloads. Well, no, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that either. Um No, no, I just thought uh it was in in hindsight it's probably, you know, now I think a lot of people not a lot of people, but you'll see like some people will just start podcasts for their business. Like it's a thing you do, like you do social media. Oh, you should do YouTube videos. Oh, you should do podcasts also because it's another channel to communicate or whatever. But for me, it for better or worse, it wasn't that it wasn't a business strategy at all. It was just something that I thought would be really cool to do. And I also really believed that if I could do a good job, with the interviews that there would be people that would listen and get value out of it. And it would help help. I was really passionate about, I am passionate about helping people travel the world, no matter what their situation or experience and travel on their terms. So, um, I thought if I could share, make these conversations good enough and share them, then that would be, that would be the fuel for the fire, right? That would be the, the thing that would get me excited. And it started getting downloaded right away. Uh, and it just kind of took off. And then later I realized, wow, this is, there's a lot more to this, like, you know, as far as being able to connect with people and all that sort of stuff. But 
What did you, so you said that, you know, it kind of just took off and people started downloading it. Was there anything that you, that you did, um, that you feel like might've contributed to that? Or do you think it was just something about the content, uh, and you presenting it that helped the podcast become as popular as it is today? I think it was the time that I published and I got featured on the new and noteworthy section in iTunes. And, um, I think Travis, my business partner who hosts a travel podcast as well, had his podcast out a little bit before mine, but there, there really wasn't that much stuff. There weren't really people doing what we were doing. And, you know, I think you had the big one was Rick Steves, who he still is, and he's a very well-known name. He's been around forever. Um, but as far as, um, the types of people we were talking to at the time and information we were sharing, it just wasn't really happening. And now you can get other podcasts that are, that are like that in the travel space. But, um, yeah, I think that, you know, the combination of the content and, you know, just really, I mean, the, the key thing was just focusing on the value for the listener. It wasn't about the Jason show, you know, this was about creating content that would help people that were listening and each guest was bringing specific things and perspectives that would help them. So just trying to be smart with curating good guests that were interesting to me and that I thought other people would find interesting and get value out of. And then also the bump in iTunes from being featured on the new and noteworthy section got a good base to begin with. And it, I say it took off, but I mean, I've been doing this for five years, man. It's, it's not an overnight thing. It, it, it it did come out of the gates pretty good. I mean, for me, pretty good was I, I couldn't believe when I look at the stats and see a couple hundred people downloaded a podcast that I created. It was just mind blowing to me and it would grow from there, but then it would plateau for a long time, sometimes years and it would go up again. And, you know, now I've been on this same plateau for a while and that's just, um, that's just, yeah, what's happening with it right now. It's, uh, it's something I'm still passionate about. So I keep creating it. Where do you want to take it next? It's a it's another good question because I've been thinking a lot about this after the five year thing and trying to decide, okay, well maybe there's some new fresh stuff that I want to do with the show that hasn't been done before. So really I just want to cover more topics that haven't been covered in the in the travel podcasting space or maybe in the travel space in general. Just keep um sharing honest conversations. Um trying to, uh, I guess get as many perspectives on the show as possible so people can relate to it and understand, Hey, well, uh, Oh, this person's they're they're like me in this way. And if they can do it, I can do it too. And, um, you know, really I, the show ended up the, the idea was to share some of the, a lot of the practical stuff, which, which I have, uh, through the guests and the conversations, but it really ended up being a lot of the the inner external stuff around travel, right? Like trying to figure out how you're going to change your life around so you can travel more or you're working a regular job and you want to take a year off. What does that mean? How does that change your life? What, is, what does that look like? How do you get rid of your stuff? How do you do that from a logistical perspective but also from a mindset perspective and we can be attached to our stuff and living somewhere. And when you get into the question of long-term or full-time travel, that's just one piece that opens up all of these other questions, right? Around how you're going to design your life, how you're going to live more intentionally. Uh, and you're going to face a lot of big questions when you 
are embarking on a journey like that because you have to make a lot of decisions, big decisions around your life and, and a big trip that might be coming up in the future, a big travel goal or a big chunk of time you want to take off to travel forces a lot of big questions in life that it's easy to avoid if you, if you don't have something like that, that you're really going for because, um, it's just, I, I know cause I've worked jo regular job. I mean, it's easy to come sometimes just to show up to work and kind of go about your business. Next thing you know, a year or two has passed and you still got those travel goals on the list. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's, I don't know if that answers your question, the direction I'm taking the show, but the short answer is I'm taking it in whatever direction that people listening want me to, because mm -hmm. it's not really my show. I don't, I really truly feel it's just a platform. I get to host it. I get to have fun and bring guests on, but I always invite people to let me know what topics they want me to cover and things like that, because it, it's a show for people that listen. It's not, it's mm -hmm. for me because I love enjoying it, but it's for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. For sure. So one of the people that has that has been on your show before uh, is a mutual friend of ours. Uh, I know him as well. His name is Heath. Um, and I actually took the liberty of uh, texting some friends of yours uh, before oh, no. this podcast and asking them, what is one question that I have to ask Jason? Uh, uh, and Heath came back with this question. Uh, Heath is, you oh, know, uh, from the uh, – he's the creator of the Sweet Ass Journal – um, and he's also, um, the founder of rage crate, which is a really great company. Go check it out. Um, and he also hosts the, uh, never stop peaking podcast. Uh, and he came back with a question. He's also a really great rapper. I don't know if you've ever heard Heath rap, but he's actually really talented. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. so he, this is the question that he came back with and he said, have you ever been involved? And this is a question for you. Have you ever been involved in a business or project that you invested a lot of energy or money into and it completely did not work out? And if so, how did that affect your focus moving forward? Oh, yeah. I'm, I, that's actually a pretty tame question for Heath. Yeah, for Heath, that was I, I was I was expecting something. By the way, I like that strategy of just texting some people and getting crowdsourcing those questions. Well done, Mikko. Um, oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I foolishly invested in a restaurant in Los Angeles – uh, $50,000 and lost almost all of it. Um, what kind of a restaurant was it? Only, uh, it was a, like a gastropub type restaurant. And these guys were just, it wasn't a good situation in the, in the, in, in many ways. But uh, at the time I really felt like I wanted to make some moves. I was tired of being on tour. I had saved up, like I said, I'd saved up money from touring. So I was able to save money over, over all those years enough to invest, make an investment like that and buy a condo and things like that. So I, I, this is exciting, I think, because I never thought you could travel so much and still have money to do regular life things too, <laughs> like make smart investments and, um, you know, buy, have a place to live and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, anyway, the restaurant business I was working in at the time doing outside sales for a company living in Colorado. And I just thought that this was a good opportunity. These guys had, um, an established restaurant that was doing pretty well. And somebody introduced me to them and I went out to LA and looked at it and thought it would be a cool way to earn some passive income. Not a cool way to earn some passive income at all. So, yeah, 
I don't regret it because I mean, certainly, yes, I would like to have that money back and maybe <laughs> have invested it in a property in Denver or something, which is exploding. But, you know, giving that money away was kind of the beginning of letting go of, um, this idea that, that I couldn't take big risks, you know, even though mm. it might sound, seem on the surface that, oh, well, yeah, it's risky to not go on a traditional path and to go on tour for 10 years and all those things. I guess from certain people, they would look at my life and see it as, you know, very risk oriented, <laughs> but inside myself, I knew I wanted to have my own thing one day and I thought, well, I got to start putting stuff out there and taking chances. And this was one of the first big chances I took that was totally not a safe investment at all. And mm -hmm. that really came back to bite me in the ass. Uh, cause that was true, but it also kind of kickstarted my entrepreneurial journey and, and made it more real. And in that regard, I can't say I have any regrets because I love the way things have turned out and that was a part of my history. So, you know, you can't sit around and think about these things. And I learned a really valuable lesson that I think is going to save me a lot of money or has already and will save me a lot of heartache and money and grief over the rest of my life because I made that big mistake and I'm not going to make it again, you know? Mm. Do you feel like your experience with traveling and sort of, you know, there's a certain level of uncertainty that comes when you travel, right? Especially like you said, pre-Google and this kind of stuff yeah, when, yeah. when you first started traveling. Do you feel like that level of um, comfort with uncertainty may has made you a better entrepreneur or how do you think that has helped you in your entrepreneurial journey? Yes, definitely. Um, how has it helped me? I think it's built the muscle. You know, certain things you have to do to build the muscle. And that is one of the most valuable muscles that you can build is getting out of your comfort zone and getting comfortable with that. I, you know, it's cliche, like get comfortable with being uncomfortable, but it's, it is truth. And when you do that, your, your, it rewires your brain and your body in a way that makes it, it kind of recalibrates everything. Right. So what is risk besides what we believe it is, right? So if you, if you're leave, if you're, if leaving your job is seems super risky to you, and then you leave your job, and you make more money than you made at your job, well, that doesn't feel risky anymore, right? Because you just proven you took the chance and you made it, and you've just proven that you can do it. And even if you don't make more money. And you still get on and you enjoy your life or whatever. You get some of your time back or whatever the case is. You've now recalibrated what risk means to you and what uncertainty means to you. So then, of course, there are always things that are going to be uncertain. We're about to take a trip with our two kids. And we've, you know, our son's just five months old. And we're going to Mexico and we're going to different places. And that would no, be no big deal for me if I was going by myself. But I'm nervous for a trip for the first time in a while because I have little ones in tow and I don't want anything to happen to them, even though I've talked to all these families and I, I know it's <laughs> going to be fine, but there's still that level of uncertainty. So it's not a thing that ever goes away, no matter how much experiencing you have and whatever. And I'm, I have travel experience and I'm worried about, you know, a little 
hesitant to this, but I'm doing it anyway because of the muscle, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not uncertainty doesn't prevent me from taking action. And I think that's when you can get to that place, it just so many things open up. Yeah. It's also kind of like, um, it brings back excitement in a way because so, you know, I've been traveling for, you know, a long time now, but it's always been to Europe and my girlfriend, Sarah and I are going to Asia for the first time in a month. Um, uh, you know, she's been to Thailand before. I've never been to Asia. And right. I'm really, like, nervous about it, if I have to be honest, because it's something that's completely yeah. different to me. Uh, I don't know sure. what to expect. And I tell my friends, like, oh, you know, don't be nervous. Like, you go going traveling. Everything's fine. But suddenly now I'm nervous about going <laughs> to this place that I, I've never been before, no matter how much I've read right. or heard about it. So, yeah, it's definitely, you know, like, I don't know. It's sort of, I definitely understand what you mean about you've traveled so much before, but now you're adding this other variable to it, which to you are your children. And what, how is that going to change the experience? And how are you going to be able to handle it? That sort of thing. So yeah, right. I, I totally understand that. Now you mentioned. But the key thing is, man, you're still going. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's the thing I think. Well, I bought the tickets. I can't, right. I can't go back. <laughs> right. I mean, so it's normal to be nervous before trips and things right. like that. I think it's human nature, right? We want to protect Mm. ourselves. We don't want to get into any situations. And when everything's uncertain, especially in travel, you're, you're putting yourself in situations that you don't know what's going to happen, but you're still going. And that's the thing that it's, you know, you don't want to not do things because of the uncertainty. You have to get used to the uncertainty and just dealing with it, but doing it anyway. So yeah, that's the point I wanted to, yeah, exactly. For sure. Now, you know, I wouldn't be doing justice to you. Um, if we get on this call and I don't mention Travis, who, uh, is sort of, I call you guys have the greatest bromance that I've ever seen kind of thing. (laughs) Um, and you mentioned him earlier. He's another travel podcaster. When you guys first met and I'd love to hear how you guys met, but my question is, since he is a travel podcaster and so are you, wasn't, and you guys are now partners, but shouldn't you guys be competitors when you first met? <laughs> well, it depends on how you look at things. I don't look at things in that way. I don't look at other people that are doing what I'm doing as competition. I look at mm-hmm. them as potential collaborators, uh, somebody that we could potentially work together and help each other grow. And that is, I think, the healthiest way to look at business. Um, Some people might disagree. Some people might say, well, you need that competitive edge. And, you know, I understand there's only one top spot at Google for this, that, or the other term, right? So in a sense, you are competing uh, on a podcast, you're competing for ears and all that sort of thing. But not not when you look at it this way, I don't think, because, you know, Travis and I, we, he has another travel podcast. We can, I can say, oh, well you know, I want to get more listeners than him, so we shouldn't work together. But what have we done? Well, we, we go on each other's podcasts and promote each other's podcasts, you know, cross promote. We've started a community together, the location indie community to help people that are running businesses from all over the world. We do things together and it just, it's that saying a rising tide lifts all boats. So Mm. if you're in the mindset that, you know, everybody's competition and you're, you're, competing against everybody. I think that's a really bad way to, to do business and to run a business. And you can certainly do that 
but it's not going to be as enjoyable and I don't think it will be as successful. Well, it depends on how you define success. And to me, it's not really a, a way to operate a business. I love to see people as potential collaborators, not com- competitors. Now, do you guys ever, I, I, I've always wondered this. Do you ever like text him when your podcast passes his on the charts or vice versa and be like, hey, <laughs> no. man, like, be you? <laughs> no? <laughs> no, like, we'll share wins with each other sometimes, but not stuff like that, you know, like friendly sure. competition stuff. It's, um, it's not a bad thing to do, though, I don't think, if ever, if it's in a good spirit and everybody's, you know, on board with that. I, I don't, I, I mean, I, we've probably had some friendly competitions with some things in the past, but I can't think of, uh, you know, specific ones, but it's not, uh, it's not like that. I think we want the best for each other. And like, mm. if you're looking for a business partner, that's exactly what you want to have, right? Somebody sure. that is looking out for you and wants the best for you and vice versa. So we did meet at the world domination summit. Um, oh, cool. Uh, that event run by Chris Gillibo. I think it's in mm. this last couple of years that he's doing it, but, um, we were like, wow, you're, running a travel podcast. Me too. You're, uh, from outside of Philadelphia. So am I, this is crazy. You love snickerdoodles too. Awesome. <laughs> snickerdoodle cookies. Love snickerdoodles. I just baked snickerdoodles yesterday. I baked. You baked? Wow. I baked, I baked yeah. cookies yesterday. That's <laughs> yeah. hardcore. <laughs> it's hardcore. I'm not a good baker, but so you mentioned you and Travis have you know, several businesses together. You guys do the location in the community, which you just mentioned, which I'm a part of, and it's awesome. Um, and then you all also run the Paradise Pack. Can you explain what the Paradise Pack is to everybody? And then was that your first business together? It was the first project we did together. And uh, I don't think we saw it as a business at the time. We just saw it as a one-off project mm-hmm. and something that we could collaborate together on. And we did that and it worked great. And we just kind of kept doing things together. So it, it our partnership started organically in that way, I suppose. And I, I, I still called Travis up and pitched him the idea. And I, I realized I could do this alone and I know it's going to work, but I don't really want to. I think it would be more successful to do it with somebody else. And I honestly, if I have to do it all by myself, it was too intimidating. I, I think mm. I probably would have not done it at all. And I was going through this thought process thinking, well, it's better to try it and do it than not do it at all. Sure. Right. Because this is like entrepreneurially, entrepreneurially, that's a tough word. It know tough thyself. Word. Right. <laughs> so if you know you're not going to get a project off the ground, even though it's a great idea, but if you partner with somebody, you can make it happen then open yourself up to that. Don't hoard the idea like, oh my God, I'm not, you know, I might do this one day. I'm going to just hold on to this because I know it's a great idea. Just find a partner and get it out there. And then Mm -hmm. maybe that's not advice is not for everybody, but that worked out (laughs) for the best for me. And, um, yeah, this is a, the paradise pack is just a, a yearly bundle sale we do. So we try to find the best products and online business, remote work and travel and put it all together into one pack and discount it 90% off. So people can get at one shot, all of the education that they need to be able to run a remote business without having to spend thousands of dollars. And also just finding it all in one place because when Trav and I both started out, we both had the problem of skipping around to different blogs, reading random articles, trying to decide what products to buy, 
which things were the best things to learn and all that sort of stuff because we wanted to get all the skills so we could run our businesses online. And there are some core skills that you need to do that. Um, and then we saw, well, Hey, there's an opportunity because most of these online business courses and things aren't serving travelers or people that want to live that travel based lifestyle. So we decided to bring the travel component in and bring courses in that were, for example, on language learning or travel hacking and things like that. So we could really put something together that would help people travel the world and run a business while they were doing it for people that are interested in that. So Paradise Pack was born and another thing, five years later, here we go. It's still going. <laughs> yeah, and we'll so. definitely put the the link for that somewhere in the show notes. Uh, and is there like a wait list where people can like sign up? Because I know it comes out, you said once a year. Is there like a wait list, like an email list where people can sign up? Yeah, people can just sign up and they can see but depending on when you listen to this, you can see what was there, either what's coming this year or what was there last year. But you can certainly sign up to stay in touch for sure. Cool. Well, I just have a couple more questions for you. I know that you yeah, got to run. go for but, it. But, you know, you now, you and Travis together have several projects. Um, you guys have several people working under you. Um, what have you learned from working remotely? And what has changed from when you first hired somebody? And yeah. – up until, you know, like now, like what have you learned in those in that time about running a remote business and managing remote employees? That is a pretty huge question. (laughs) Saving the best for last. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the answer to that question is a lot. We've learned a lot. Um, Well, can you share some of the mistakes that you made along the way and, you know, how you're correcting them? Yeah, I think some of the mistakes we made center around systems, being more intentional with how you design your business systems. And I I think first of all, Travis and I make a good business partner pairing or a bad one, depending on how you look at it. If you're of the, of the school that, Hey, you should get somebody with complementary skills, then we're great. If you are thinking, Hey, you should get somebody that you know, you be the the face marketing guy and you be the the tech coding girl or whatever and put them together and that's the perfect partnership, then we're terrible. Because Travis and I have a very similar skill set. We we both love podcasting. We both are fairly good at outreach and those types of things. Um, But it, it works for us. But what we had a hard time with is sitting down and buckling down and doing some of the more operations oriented systems type stuff because we wanted to be doing our creative work. We love the creative aspect of the business. We like creating the business. We like, um, figuring out what things we're going to make and and how we're going to make them and, you know, coming up with podcasts and new show ideas and all this type of stuff. But we didn't want to sit down and and figure out, okay, who's going to answer our email and how are they going to respond to these various emails and what should we do to automate this process and all that type of stuff. So it, uh, it took some time because when we created the community location indie, we did get around 50 members right away. And that was so exciting. And then we wanted to make sure we, we serviced them of course, and we had a plan and we executed it, but it felt like we were flying by seat of our pants 
behind the scenes quite a bit. It wasn't noticeable in the community. We were delivering what we wanted to. And then I think both of us put a internal pressure on ourselves because we want to always want to over deliver and make sure everybody's, you know, really happy and feeling good about what they're getting. And that's a good thing. That's a good stress I think to have. But, um, but at certain point it's not scalable if you're not building the systems on the back end. So we needed to kind of play catch up and figure out how we were going to dial some of the automate automations in. And, um, that it's this, it's the unsexy stuff that really makes a business run and gives you freedom of time, more freedom of time and that sort of thing. So, um, I think getting a team on board sooner than later is something that anybody listening to this should consider, even if they don't think they're ready. And, you know, being very intentional with uh, training them and making sure you have SOPs and um, systems and processes in order a bit. It doesn't have to be perfect, but at least take a big picture view and get a direction where things are going in that moment of time and start getting people on board to help you out sooner than later. Yeah, I think uh, SOPs are huge for a remote business because unlike in an office scenario, you can't walk down to your you know coworker's desk, tap them on the shoulder, and say, "Hey, how do you do this?" You know, right. so you need to um, you know build out for those scenarios so that if you know you're in Norway like you are now, and I'm in the U.S. and you're not awake yet, or I'm not awake yet to answer some questions, you can kind of like you know figure it out. You know how right. to do that. Yeah, I have a bit of advice that I always share with people for that because as you're growing your business, even if it's just you by yourself, it this is a good thing to do because it makes you think bigger about your business, first of all, and take it more seriously, especially if you're just starting out. I think that can be a problem like, hey, you know, is this a real thing? Am I just like playing here or is this a real business? You know, no, it's a real thing. And if you start thinking about operations and how things are going to work, what you can do say you have a podcast and you have to post the show notes and post up the file and do all that stuff. And you're thinking, Hey, when this business is bigger and I can afford to hire people, I'm not going to do this stuff. This is the first thing I'm going to unload. Or these are like mm -hmm. the first five things I'm not going to do. Just open up any like screenshot video software or whatever. And the next time you do that task, just record yourself doing it and give a little tutorial and then put it into a Dropbox folder or a Google Drive folder or whatever, there is your training. So as soon as you can bring somebody on board, uh, as soon as you start onboarding people, you have a folder to take them to and you say, okay, hey, I need some a virtual assistant that's going to help me with things. Hey, here's all the things you're going to do. Here are like the five folders that I've created. And it's just a great exercise because, A, you're getting an asset that you can use when you hire people so you can mm -hmm. get them onboarded and going right away. But by doing that, you're also starting to think about systems and the things that you ultimately don't want to do yourself so you can focus on the things that are in your zone of genius. So um, that's a good exercise that anybody can start doing today. Yeah, there's also um, there's a really good book um, which I actually just finished last week called Work the System that is all about kind of creating SOPs in your business. Um, so if anybody mm. listening to this is at that point in their business and they uh, you know are you know they've heard SOPs being thrown around on different podcasts uh, and is wondering how to get started, that's a really good book um, just to sort of understand 
you know, how to build a process for building, you know, standard operating procedures sort of thing. But I have one last question for you. Um, as a remote worker um, and somebody who's been doing that for quite a while, what is your daily, what does a day-to-day look like for you? And do you have a routine that you try to stick to? The routine thing can be tough with kids at this age right now, but generally, yes. Uh, if I'm not traveling and I'm home, it's it's sort of the same. Get up early, get my daughter to daycare, and that's family stuff. And then I have usually between around 10 a.m. and 3 or 3.30 to get things done. Mm. And, and that means also going to the gym or taking care of myself because I usually can't be up for that kind of stuff at night. So what I'll do when I'm in a good place is I'll focus on the big projects and the creative projects during that time, even though the email is building up and that can stress me out a little bit at times, even though there's Slack messages and need to be tended to from my team and things like that. In a way, I'm fortunate with the time zone change. You know this, Mikko, being in Europe. When you're in Europe, everybody in the U.S. is asleep. So you kind of have this sacred time where people aren't really emailing you. There's nothing really going on and you have that time to focus. And I think the next challenge for anybody, any entrepreneur, I think the daily challenge is figuring out what to prioritize and what to actually focus on. That's always the trick, right? Yeah. So then you kind of reverse engineer it and take a look at your your big goals. And one of those has got to be revenue right? Mm. I mean, you don't have a business unless you have revenue. You can't have the lifestyle unless you have a certain amount of money coming in and all those things. And if it's not where it needs to be, then you need to take a look at your revenue goal and just say, okay, what are my peak creative times for the things that I want to create that are going to get me to this revenue goal? Or what are the things I have to do to get this revenue goal? If it's, if it's, uh, getting clients, maybe that's, you know, massive amount of outreach if it's uh, selling a digital product that you've already tested, you know it's going to work. It's going to be creating that product and getting it launched as soon as possible. Um, it's just when you take the decisions of prioritization through the revenue lens, it kind of brings clarity to the things that you need to do. Because let's face it, a lot of things that we think we need to do aren't necessarily the things we actually need to do. They might be the easy things to do. They might be the things that trick us into feeling like we're doing things that we should be doing that are furthering our business, like posting on Instagram or whatever. But have you made any money from Instagram? If you haven't made any money from Instagram, maybe you should substitute out your 45 minutes of Instagram time and start developing relationships with, you know, so-and-so in your industry on LinkedIn or whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. It just, um, it's just a matter of prioritizing correctly. And then again, figuring out those times during the day when those projects are the best for you to work on. Like I know I, there's certain things I can't do it after a, a certain time at night. I just get too tired. So then at night, um, cause my kids get home and then I have to do a whole routine with them. And once they go to bed, then I can do things that are a little less brain intensive, like filling out an expense report or, you know, sending some, some emails or, you know, planning out my next day or whatever the case is. So, um, you have to know yourself a bit and then Mm -hmm. design your routine, I think around that, but that's my general routine. Yeah. I think, um, I think his his name is Chris Bailey. I'm not, I'm not totally sure, but, uh, he's got this book called, um, the productivity year or 
I'm going to link it somewhere below, but he talks about that being like, he calls it the biological prime time. And it's sort of exactly what we talked about. It's knowing yourself and knowing when you can get shit done and when you can't get your stuff done, right? And so for me, like when when you were talking, it made me think, I know that when three o'clock hits, I need to be ready for YouTube to pop out and some like, you know, I watched like trailers for like 30 minutes the other day because like, you know, and then after that time passes, again, you're going to have another peak in your, you know, focus and, you know, you can work again. And that's one of the really cool things about remote work is that, you know, if you don't work well between nine and five, you know, you can adjust your schedule to get your work done when is most natural for you. And I think that's right. That's really powerful. Isn't it a no-brainer? Mm-hmm. Like it's you know what I mean? These companies that bring people in to work nine to five when you you know, you might have a really talented employee that's a night owl and nine to five sucks for them. They don't mm. feel fresh. Or you can you can get more done. I can get more done between ten and two on certain days than I could nine to five on a on the same day. So it just depends on um you know how you look at it and, and what you, like you said, what your level of productivity is during those times. Right. But there's no clear answers here, right? These things ebb and flow. This is life. Right. Some, some days you feel, you know how it is, you feel super productive. And then other days you just like, oh, I didn't get anything done today. This is so frustrating. <laughs> but man, that's where persistence comes in. And mm. yeah, I love remote work. I, I got to tell you, I go back and forth sometimes with the whole loneliness aspect. I mean, that's why we started Location Indie, the community. We wanted yeah. to get around other people doing this uh, because when you don't have colleagues uh, or you have a small team and, and it's just you guys and it's all online and you're not seeing people in person, that can be pretty hard. Um, this is going to be a theme, I'm sure, that comes up in your show all yeah. the time. But um, but overall, man, I mean, I do really enjoy my coffee in the morning and sipping it, maybe while a fire's going. It's winter in Norway. Mitko's got mm. his coffee right there. That's and, right. Uh, you know, watching everybody else sort of scramble around <laughs> to go to their oh, jobs yeah. and start up their cars and everything. And I know, okay, well, I'm in my pajamas and... I know I'm going to have to get out at some point, but I'm just going to kind of enjoy this coffee for right now and start my work in a little bit. It's nothing more valuable than owning your time. Yeah, 100%. Well, you know, I can't think of a better way um, to end this interview than on that note. Thank you so much for, uh, you know, taking the time to come on the show. Uh, You know, hopefully I have a ton more questions here. So hopefully one day you'll come back on, uh, you know, on a a later episode and we can. uh, I'd love to. Well, man, I mean, am I really the guest on the first episode? This is such an honor. It's it's an honor, man. It really, it truly is. I really appreciate it. And if you listen to this podcast now, subscribe because Mitko is the man. He knows a ton about this stuff. You'd be missing out if you're not subscribing. So he's just getting started. I know this guy. So um, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to link um, everything. You know, on the show notes, um, Location Indie, which we didn't really get to chat about, but it's the amazing uh, membership community uh, that Travis and Jason started, um, which I'm a member of. So I'm going to link that down below along with the Paradise Pack and also go and subscribe to Zero to Travel if you've never heard of it before or you're not subscribed yet. Uh, Definitely do that. So thanks again for coming on the show, man. Thank you. 